Well, good morning, people of grace. All right. Whether it's William Wallace screaming freedom at the end of his life, or Captain Miller telling Private Ryan on a bridge in France to earn this, or Mama Gump telling Forrest on her bed, life's like a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Maybe it's Apollo Creed who says, don't stop this fight no matter what. Or maybe less famous uh, people who said maybe something like this on their last moments on earth, watch this (laughs) or hold my beer. Last words are important. They tell us something. And last week, if you joined us, whether you were here in person or online, we looked at the first of two kind of famous last pictures from the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. And today we're going to continue where we left off, and we're going to look at a, we're going to get to eavesdrop in on this conversation that happened a couple of thousand years ago that is still as timely and applicable as it was then. And so if you missed this last week, no worries, you're going to be able to hop right in today. But here's the framework of the passage. What would you say to one of your closest friends if you knew tomorrow was your last day? That's the kind of urgency with which the Apostle Paul speaks to his friend Timothy. And from a cold and lonely, dark prison in Rome awaiting his execution, he sends some final instructions in these famous last pictures that we see in chapter 2 of the book of 1 Timothy. And friends, this passage, it does not just apply uh, to Timothy or to spiritual leaders or pastors. Timothy is one of those, and it certainly does apply to those men and women. But I think it applies to each and every one of us because the, the kind of character that we need from our spiritual leaders is the kind of character that exemplifies what it means to become like Christ in all of life. And that's every disciple's call and every believer's call. And so last week we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we looked at verses 14 through 19 and we discovered this kind of famous last picture, this desired vision or image of of what life should look like. And we looked at how Paul wanted Timothy to be an approved worker, a a no-shame worker. He wanted him to show up at the end of his life with, with no regrets, no reason to hang his head, not, not perfect, but approved. And he, he gave Timothy kind of four things to avoid or do in his kind of pursuit of that grand finish line. And today we're going to continue, again, pick up right where we left off in the scriptures and look at Paul's next metaphor or word picture to consider another desired vision for his life and I think our life as well. Now, when I would visit my grandmother as a kid, I distinctly remember this one part of her house. My grandparents were not, you need to understand, they weren't wealthy at all by any stretch of the means, okay? And it always seemed a little bit out of place to me that my grandmother had this grand case. It was this like large, prominent china cabinet in what wasn't a very large house. And it was full of all these kind of precious breakables in a very, again, in a very modest, very narrow small mobile home that was maybe 1,200 square feet where she raised, and my grandfather raised nine kids. You can imagine how out of place this seemed to me as a young child. And there were a number of different kind of antique sets of dishes and different sets of china that she had collected over the years from her family and, and friends and just different situations. And here's the thing. As a Morris grandchild, you learned quickly. And I mean real quick. Okay, you only had to learn the lesson once that you did not horse around next to this china cabinet. Those things were honored. They were, they were special. To my grandmother, those things had incredible value. They had a, a special purpose and a special place in her heart. And if you asked her, she would light up and she would tell you about all the different characteristics of these sets of dishes, what they were made of, their characteristics, and why they were important and those types of things. She never talked about her trash can like this. 
Not once. We get it. We understand every owner of a house has these things, these things that are valuable, precious, have a special purpose. Maybe they belong in a, in a special place on a shelf somewhere. They're treated a bit, a bit maybe differently. We all know this, right? There's a big difference between that gr- uh, crystal vase your grandmother handed down to you and your little pra- plastic trash can. The Apostle Paul uses a very similar illustration today in our passage, starting in verse 20. It reads like this. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. All right, did you catch it? Did you see, did you see the image? That phrase, if you, if you clean yourself from what is dishonorable, you will be a vessel for honorable use. Paul's, Paul's second kind of desired vision for Timothy's life is I want you to be a vessel of honor, a clean, clean vessel. Other translations you might be reading in your, in your scriptures might say an instrument for a special purpose or a special utensil, but Paul uses this analogy of a house and the vessels in it. He's, he's pointing to something that Timothy and every reader of that time would have known, and you and I know as well, that there are some utensils that are for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. There are some things that are used for eating and cooking and special occasions, and there are other things that are, that are used for removing things from the house. If, if Paul were living today, he might say it like this, every, every house has toilets and drinking glasses. Every house has trash cans and your finest set of dishes. And what you put on them and what you put in them is very different. There's a purpose. There's a difference in the way we treat our trash can and toilet versus our finest set of dishes. And Paul describes these honorable vessels this way. He says, look, they're clean, right? There's a difference. You clean your dishes frequently, you might hose your trash can out a couple times a year, okay? They're set apart. They have a special place, right? There's that place on the mantle or in that cabinet or in that place where you keep the special things away from danger. They're uh, useful. It has a purpose, and they're ready for every good work. They're ready to fulfill the purpose for which they were created. You know this, Timothy. Every house has special vessels that are clean, set apart, useful, and ready for every good work. And Paul says, look, Timothy, I want you to be this kind of special instrument, this kind of clean vessel. I want you to be a kind of instrument in the hands of maybe Jesus Christ himself in the Lord's house, a minister, a vessel of honor. I want you to be a a special instrument used for honorable and great purposes. I love this image as I ran across it in in my Bible reading a couple of months ago. What, What it would be, I started to think, what would it be like to be a vessel of honor? What would it be like to have a prominent place in the Lord's house? What would it be like to have that honored and special place and purpose in the china cabinet of the Lord's house? Clean, useful, set apart, ready for every good work. And I said, I'm in, sign me up. But then I kept reading and Paul tells me what I'm gonna have to do to be that. And it, it, it's, it's striking. And so in verse 22, we have, look, if you want to be that in light of uh, that vision, if you're going to do that, here's what you need to know. Because this kind of vessel of honor, it, it looks, it does certain things and it looks certain ways. And Paul tells us, he tells us the actions and he tells us the characteristics of this kind of vessel of honor starting in verse 22. And so right in the next paragraph, he's going to give us two applications or actions, four characteristics or traits of a vessel of honor. And he's going to give us the big overarching reason why he's going to give us the purpose. 
So that, just in case we have this thought as we read this in the back of our heads about whether or not this is going to be worth it or not, he's going to give us the why, because it's going to be difficult to live this way. He could have just told us to do it. He could have played his apostle card and said, just do it. But he wants to give you a little peek behind the curtain and explain a little bit of the why so you understand the purpose of these kinds of special instruments or vessels of honor. And so let's, let's read the rest of our passage today in its entirety, and then we're going to work through it a little bit at a time, and we're going to see again the actions, the traits, and the why, the big purpose. All right, verse 22. So, so you want to be a vessel of honor. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Okay, so let's walk through that passage a little bit at a time. First, the, ac- the actions or the applications. You want to be a vessel of honor. You want to be a special instrument in the Lord's house. You're going to need to do what verse 22 says, right? So flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The first thing a vessel of honor does is they flee, pursue. They flee, pursue. This is a common use of word for the Apostle Paul. He actually tells Timothy to do almost the exact same thing in his first letter in chapter 6. He's repeating himself for emphasis. He wants Timothy to have his life marked with this idea of fleeing some things and pursuing others. And when I read those words, uh, flee and pursue, my mind instantly went to a time a few years back where I was uh, coaching my son's t-ball team. Now, there are a lot of things frustrating about coaching five and six-year-old boys in t-ball. But one of the things that was a little frustrating at one moment was uh, teaching them how to base run and how to do it properly and how to run hard even through the base and not slow down before they got there. And so as any good coach, I set out to try and fix this problem. And every, every practice, we spent the last 10 minutes working on base running. And it was fun because what happened over time was there became two different kind of motivations or versions of motivation that became our team's favorites. They were the ones that the boys would yell to each other. And it was interesting to see how different boys responded to different motivations. So one day, right, just in a moment on, on kind of a whim, there was one of our boys, he wasn't giving very good effort. And I was trying to motivate him any way I could to run hard all the way through the base. And I asked him, I said, look, man, come on. I took him aside. I was like, look, man, just once, would you, would you run like the meanest, nastiest dog is chasing you? <laughs> Friends, you should have seen this kid get down the line. I mean, the chariots of fire music came on. It was, it was a, I mean, it was a, a sight to behold for this coach's eyes. He must have had that image in his head because he was moving. And so from time to time, the boys on our team would yell for each other and encourage each other, the dog's behind you, hurry, hurry, hurry. There were other times where I'd, I'd put them in practice, I'd put them on first or second base, and I'd say, I'd say this, look, you're the winning run. It's the last inning. The ball game's tied. You've got to get there fast. And it was, it was fun to see them respond to that. Instead of something they, that was behind them, they were running towards something, trying to attain it. And pretty soon, you'd hear the boys yelling for each other and encouraging each other, come on, you're the winning run. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Now, I'm not sure what motivates you best in your spiritual walk. Some of you may be more motivated some days to run fast out of the concern with what's behind you, what's chasing you. I think that's valid especially considering all the verses throughout the scripture that talk about our enemy being like a predator chasing prey 
or the snares and traps of this world or the dangers of a life lived kind of lazily and without purpose. Some of you may be more motivated by the goal that's out there in front of you. You, you know the, the promises and the rewards and for the, for, for the folks who, for a life well lived, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna chase that down. I wanna pursue that. Here's the thing, friends. I think they both work. It might be the reason Paul like put them together because some days you're gonna need that image of a mean, nasty dog chasing you and some days you're gonna need that glorious picture of the winning run, of that better uh, future you're trying to attain. And so Paul tells Timothy, look, a vessel of honor is going to flee, pursue. Flee, pursue. And that word flee there, it's, it's not a jog. It's, the, it's the, the root word of that is where we get our word fugitive from. And fugitives, they're, they're attempting to escape an imminent threat. And Paul says, look, look, a vessel of honor is going to flee. They're going to run. They're not going to jog. It's not going to be a Sunday stroll. You're going to flee from all the wayward impulses and all the passions of, of youth. And I found it, as I was reading this passage, I found it really interesting that Paul does not make a long list of what those are right here. If you've read enough of Paul's letters, you know that one of the things he often does is rattle off a big long list of all the things you're trying to avoid. And he doesn't do that here. I think he knows at this point that, that Timothy probably knows exactly what he's talking about. And even us as readers, we, we probably in this room, we probably know exactly what he's talking about. These kind of wayward impulses, these passions of the young that we need to flee from. He says, look, even if that doesn't work, if, if, if the image of fleeing doesn't work, would you pursue something? Would you, would you run it down? Would you chase after it? Would you, would you pursue it like every kind of running through the airport or final chase scene in your favorite romantic comedy? All right? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace like that. Because if you want to be a vessel of honor, an instrument for a special purpose, you're going to need to flee spiritual danger in order to escape it. And you're going to need to pursue spiritual good in order to attain it. So flee, pursue. While you're running from one thing, you're running towards another. The second application he gives to vessels of honor is found in verse 23, and it reads like this. He says, Timothy, have, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Now, I don't know about you. If you were here with us last week, I'm beginning to get the impression that Timothy might have a problem with being quarrelsome. Right? That's like two weeks in a row now, Paul. But he's probably in good company. I know he's in good company with me, and I'm sure there are others in here that he's in good company with. But he says, look, here, a vessel of honor, a special instrument kind of, kind of vessel is going to be, uh, he's going to avoid foolish and ignorant controversies. They breed quarrels. They're going to have nothing to do with it. They're going to avoid it. A special instrument has to learn how to um, develop a discerning mind about when to engage and when not to engage. And we, we talked a lot about that last week. But I found it interesting, this word foolish here in the, in the original languages is the word moros, which is where we get our word moron or moronic. Paul, Paul's not, he's not pulling any punches. He's coming right at us here. Again, he, he's not saying, look, there's not a time to, to bait or argue, right? He's already instructed Timothy numerous times to guard doctrinal issues that are important. But he's like saying, look, here, Timothy, Timothy, you don't smear mud or something worse on a vessel of honor. That's not the way you treat it. And so he tells him to avoid these foolish and ignorant arguments that breed quarrels. It's a vivid visual. He uses that word breed or produce or other translations say like beget. It's almost like Timothy, you, mixed with foolish, ignorant controversies, that baby is not pretty. 
the baby that's made from those two partners. It's fights and quarrels, and it's not what a vessel of honor looks like. We need to get some different genetics in the mix. The product of that relationship, Timothy, it's not producing the right kinds of things in your life. We need to change it up a bit. And so Paul, again, after he inspires him to become a vessel of honor, he gives him two applications. Flee, pursue, and then avoid foolish and ignorant controversies. Next, Paul goes on in verse 24 and 25 to give us kind of four characteristics or traits of a vessel of honor, a vessel that's used by the king or the master of the house. It says, it says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, and correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, let, Paul's like, let me give you a picture. Let me give you the characteristics to chase after. If you want to be a, a vessel of honor, these are the, these are the qualities. When you, when you look at it up on the shelf, this is the shape of that kind of vessel. And he rattles off these four things, right? Instead of being quarrelsome, this, this vessel of honor is kind to everyone, able to teach, patient when wronged, and gentle in correction. Let's look at the first of those. Kind to everyone, trait number one, kind to everyone. I don't know about you, but I really wish Paul wouldn't have said everyone. I'd like to apply for an exemption. I've got a few things, I get a few people, but I really have to be kind to everyone. Come on, Paul. But vessels of honor, they're kind to everyone. They're not, they're not fighters. Special instruments aren't trolls. They don't poke the bear just to poke the bear. They aren't looking for a fight. They're peacemakers. They're not trying to stir things up. And when you look at a vessel of honor, the shape you see is, is kindness to everyone. You don't see them being harsh or abusive or overbearing or unkind or thoughtless. There's, Timothy, there's a, there's a kindness to everyone. Even in authority, as a, maybe as a Christian leader in your church, Timothy, there's a kindness to everyone that, that, is, that marks the vessel of honor. And so look, demonstrate the kind of kindness to everyone that stands kind of in stark contrast to the world around you. A vessel of honor is kind to everyone and also able to teach able to teach. I, I don't think this necessarily means that you always have to be the smartest person in the room, but wherever you're at, whatever you've been given, whatever you've learned, you have the ability and maybe even the desire to go with it to communicate that effectively what you do have and pass it on to others and help them grow and learn and be shaped, right? Whatever, whatever spiritual knowledge you have, whatever, whatever insights you've been given by God, you want to pass that along to others. And we, we know good teachers when we see them because, because good teachers, the best teachers, they, they study their students because they care. They want to they craft that lesson however they can so that that, that student can, can learn it in only the way they can learn it. They care enough about those people that they, they, they think about how, what would be the best way for them to hear this truth and make it take root in their lives. And so a special instrument, a vessel of honor, has the ability to, the ability and, and the desire, I think, to go with it, to help in the process of others growing and learning and spiritually shaping others. Vessel of honor, kind to everyone, able to teach, and patient when wronged. Not just patient when things are going your way. My goodness, that's hard enough as it is. I have a problem with that already. But patiently enduring evil is the phrase used there in the scripture. Paul, Paul really implies to Timothy, look, you're going to be wronged. It's not a matter of if, it's when. These things are going to happen. And they're not just going to be little misunderstandings or miscommunications. You're going to be, um, you're going to be wronged, sinned against, treated evilly, maybe unfairly misrepresented. And when you are, a vessel of honor's response is patience. 
Friends, this one's not easy. I think one of the hardest things to do as a human is to take hits and to remain patient. This one is the one to me that seems so kind of humanly impossible, to be patient when wronged. I'm going to need some kind of miracle here, supernatural help, God, to get me through this because this goes against everything that, that I'm wired to do. It goes, it goes against all of my hardwiring and bents and brokenness. And yet we have a, we have a great example of this in our, in our Savior, Jesus. We can look to his example, right, as we're becoming like him in all of life. When, when I read that phrase, patiently enduring evil, the, the, the image that came to my mind was Jesus in his final days, that process of him being betrayed, accused, tried, misrepresented, beaten, and, and I'm always struck by the incredible restraint and patience that he had to, had to exhibit in those moments. Because I know my first and natural response when I feel like I'm wronged or I'm right is the exact opposite. I wanna speak out, I wanna lash out, I wanna fight back, I'm gonna post about it, and I wanna justify myself. And our, our Savior models something so incredibly different. He, he teaches us a master class in that time from the garden to the tomb about what it means to handle opposition and pain and patiently endure evil. And so the vessel of honor, in contrast maybe to the world around us, is patient when wronged. They can begin to learn how to absorb the pain of this world without losing their temper or lashing back or returning evil for evil. A vessel of honor, kind to everyone, able to teach, patient when wronged, and then gentle in correction. It isn't a note to correction. I, I, I appreciate that, Paul, but it's, it's, it's how it's done. When I was reading this passage a couple, of weeks, a couple months ago, this is the one that struck me as maybe the most counterculture in our day and age. I don't know if you've, you have found this to be true, but it seems as if this, these days it's the loudest voice, it's the angriest voice, maybe the one with the most followers, the most harsh vo voice. It seems as if the goal these days is to dominate or embarrass your opponents, right? What's celebrated is not necessarily winning the argument or having the, the best idea, but it's doing it in such a way to embarrass or ridicule or mock those who need maybe correction. And the Lord's servant, they, they live in, in different ways. The vessel of honor is, is different. They're different than the world around us because the vessel of honor, we, I, I think the reason is, is we, don't, we don't care about whether or not we win now. We might not care so much about how we're being judged now. It doesn't matter if we're winning in the court or winning or losing in the court of public opinion now because we have a different day coming. A different day of judgment. A different court of opinion that matters more than the one now. And so it's, it's a vessel of honor can correct gently. Now, I didn't have to look very far in my own life to have plenty of examples to share with you about how I am not good at correcting gently. All right. I have a nine and a seven-year-old and they're like every other kid. And when they do that thing, the same thing every day for a week and a half, here comes dad, the sledgehammer. Okay. Or mom, the tornado. If you're married or have a significant other, there are times where you have to have these conversations. You need to speak truth, but Men, you do it in a, a very harsh way. Or women, you, you do it in a way that is cruel or disrespectful or pushes that button you know that's gonna shut him down. But a vessel of honor, they live differently. It's not necessarily about expressing truth or convictions, but it's doing it in a way that isn't argumentative or quarrelsome or mean-spirited. 
Paul might say, look, don't destroy the person in the process of doing the Lord's work. Even opponents, if there is such a thing for a believer, needs to be treated in a, in a certain way. And so the servant of the Lord, the, a kind of a vessel of honor is demonstrating these traits. When you look at it, when you see it up there on the shelf in the Lord's house, this is the shape of it. This is what you see. They're kind to everyone. They're able to teach. They're patient when wronged, and they're gentle in correction. Okay, take a deep breath. I don't know about you, but as I was reading that passage a few months ago, these things stirred me up. They, they caused me to have some immediate self-reflection and almost a confession to God of, like, God, I feel like I'm going 0 for 4 on this some days. What, what, what's, the, what's the motivation for doing this? Because it's, it's much easier to go along with the flow, and it's, it's so much easier to do exactly the opposite of what you just instructed me to do. Right? It, it, it is so easy to be kind to those who are kind to you in return. It is so easy to not worry about having to teach others, to keep that for yourself, to hoard knowledge for your own advantage or benefit. It's so much easier to respond and retaliate when someone's wrong or when evil is done to you, and it is so much easier to be harsh when, you need to be, uh, when someone needs to be corrected. And so, right, come on, Paul, this, this seems impossible. There's, there's got to be a reason why you want me to live in such a way and really alter my life in these ways so I can look like the vessel of honor. And Paul does. He gives us the why in the remaining part of this passage today. Because in order to develop these things in our life, we're going to need some, some fortitude and some discipline and some endurance and we're going to need to know the why so that we can keep going on days where this does not seem possible. Verse 25 says it this way. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There it is. Boom. What's the purpose of a special instrument? What's the purpose of a vessel of honor? Every instrument has a purpose. There's a reason it was created. And these kinds of honorable and clean vessels, vessels that are going to be used by the king for a grand purpose, here's the goal, here's the why. If you live in such a way, if you, if you strive to become that kind of vessel of honor, if that's a desired image or vision for your life, the implication from the Apostle Paul is that if you can do these things and you can exhibit these traits with the help of God himself, God may use you as a vessel of honor, a special instrument to help grant repentance. God, God may show up and act and interrupt those quote-unquote opponents and heal spiritual blindness. And you're part of that. You're a minister. You get to be a part of that process as a vessel of honor for this grand and glorious purpose. That others might gain a knowledge of the truth. They might be won over and you might be able to help in the process of helping others escape the trap and being captured alive because our enemy, that's his business. He, he traffics in captured and blinded souls. And God says, look, look, look. I'm gonna use some vessels of honor. I'm gonna use some special instruments some men and women who flee, pursue, some men and women who avoid foolish and ignorant controversies that breed quarrels. And I'm going to use some men and women who, with the help of the Holy Spirit and God's supernatural help, are kind to everyone, able to teach, patient when wronged, and gentle in correction. And I'm going to use these kinds of men and women to help other men and women in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes, and all over the world. And I'm going to use them to help grant repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth, so that others might escape the trap of the enemy instead of being captured. And friends, listen to me. If the Lord has done this for you, 
if God and his magnificent grace has seen fit to uh, grant you repentance and the miracle of repentance and faith and led you to a knowledge of the truth and helped you escape the snare of the devil, then let's work towards this goal of being vessels of honor so that if the Lord wills and grants it, there might be more people at the party. Here's, here it is. Here's the big picture for today. Paul gives Timothy another, again, picture, desired image for his life. I want you to be a vessel of honor, a clean vessel. And that kind of vessel does two things. They flee and pursue, and they avoid foolish and ignorant arguments. They have nothing to do with them because they lead, they breed, they produce quarrels. And that kind of vessel, its characteristics, its shape, when you, when you look at it, the thing you see is that they're kind to everyone, able to teach, patient when wronged, and gentle in correction. That's what they look like, all for one big, important, huge why. This grand and noble purpose, the kind of purpose befitting a vessel of honor and a special instrument that the great hope that God may perhaps do what only he can do and grant repentance and faith that leads to a knowledge of the truth so that they, others, might escape a fate for which you and I, friends, are so incredibly grateful to be on the other side of. What a passage. What a passage. Men and women of grace, I want to conclude uh, today. Just, just, I want to just summarize the last two weeks for us. I think it would be a great way to end our time together. The Apostle Paul from a Roman prison with all the energy he has left facing his impending and certain death, writes to his dear friend Timothy, and it serves for instructions to us as well. And he wants to give him a vision for the rest of his life, however many days he has left, and he doesn't know how many he has left, and he wants to give him a vision for showing up at the end of his life like an approved worker with no shame, no regrets. And he wants him to live, live like a vessel of honor, an instrument for a special purpose in the Lord's hands. Now, friends, I, there's one more thing. One thing I want to make sure you know before you leave today. You are already those things. You are already those things, friends. I wish I had time to dig deeper into this. I just don't have the time today. But you are already those things. There are all kinds of scriptures all throughout the Bible where we are told, you are this, now live as if it's true. Friends, you are approved by God. Those of you who are his disciples, his children, that was settled on the cross a long time ago. When he looks at you, he sees his son's blood and his righteousness. You're approved. You're an approved worker, so live like an approved worker. And friends, you are set apart. You are a vessel of honor set apart for a special purpose by God. Ephesians 2 says you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which the Lord prepared in advance for you to do. This spring in 1 Peter, it said it this way, you're a royal uh, priest, a holy nation, God's special possession. So live like a vessel of honor. Men and women of grace, you are an approved worker and a vessel of honor. And so let's, let's live as if that's true. And we're going to need the Lord's help and his mercy and his grace to do that. And so I'm just going to stop here and pray for that right now as we conclude today. Would you pray with me? God, we, we come before you with gladness and gratitude. God, knowing how much we've been given and how much you love and care for us. And we are, we are grateful for your word today, God, which instructs and help us, helps us know how to live. 
Father, there are men and women in this room who want with all of their hearts to alter their lives in order to fulfill the purpose for which you created them. Help us, Father. Father, more than, more than anything today, we want to live like a vessel of honor. We want to live like the special instruments and special possessions that we know we are. And we're going to need your Holy Spirit's help to do that. And so, God, we ask boldly in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, would you supernaturally help the men and women in this room hear what they need to hear, apply what they need to apply, and surrender what they need to surrender in order to have our lives match this kind of glorious reality of being called your children, your approved workers, and your vessels of honor. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our example and great Savior. Amen.